This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch ZMAR. Welcome back to the show. We're going to go over some cost analysis and some data that uh, recently pulled for one. Becker's Hospital uh, Review um, talked about how they receive payments to the hospitals and nearly half of Americans get their health insurance through an employer plan, uh, employer sponsor plan. Most people get it through work. Um, that's very traditional. It's always been that way uh, for a long, long time. And the hospitals rely on the employer sponsor plans for their payments, not only just because they're in business and they need to collect from those who they provide services for, but it's because they pay nearly double of what the government plans um, actually pay. And so we're talking about Medicare and Medicaid, um, and I'm sure the VA is throwing in there if they do outside of um, the military hospitals, but they pay nearly double of what Medicare and Medicaid pays. And even Medicaid even pays 30% lower than Medicare does. And so they have to make up some difference, but what, where's the cutoff? There's um, a saying uh, a friend of mine uses, uh, what's enough and what's too much, right? And so, and I think that comes true with insurance companies when they're collecting premium payments. And there's no way for us to audit. We never had any uh, reason to uh, in the past. Health insurance was mainly affordable for many, many, many years and then claims started going through the roof, which is, you know, common, I guess, uh, over time with anything we do. We have more risk. We have more activities. We have more things that we're trying to do, and we're trying to live longer and all this stuff. So expenses are going to go up regardless, but um, we have to control it in the meantime. So even part of the data was saying that even on employer sponsor plans in 2024, they're already expecting an 8.5% increase. It's going to bring um, the employee-only premiums over $15,000 a year. And employees are paying roughly 20% more of their paycheck over the last five years. And so, like, when, when does it end exactly? Like, what, what measurements can we do to help control some of these costs? Part of it, I think, is irresponsibility in the executive level of companies, um, owners, and then even our own industry, um, our insurance agents and brokers because they're blinded by commissions and they're blinded by the status quo, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, and the commissions are usually in a bonus, um, which is now supposed to be disclosed. But I tell you, some of these big shops in the country are trying to hide it as much as possible. And it, it seems like a lot more work to hide it than just tell you what it is. And, and again, at some point, when is enough to provide a service to the employers as a broker? And when is it too much? Um, and that's and employers need to start asking those questions healthcare system in the United States isn't really broken. Uh, it's working exactly the way it was designed. And so healthcare providers know that they have access to funds uh, that they could just bill. And as long as it's a reasonable medical expense, it's usually paid for. And it's not, they're not collecting payment from the mom and pop kitchen table, you know, single income or even dual income, uh, average middle class people. They're collecting it from insurance companies that are pulling in billions of dollars in premium, escrowing amount, a certain amount for um, claims, and they have an anticipated number of claims that they're able to do. Um, and so they're going to get paid almost anything that they really put in and whatever their negotiated rate is. It's definitely just a bigger purse, and so they just get access to more cash. And the insurance companies have very little 
incentive to actually audit the expenses. They have some, right? They want to do checks and balances. They also want to, to make sure they're not spending money on fraudulent claims. Of course they don't, right? But they're also not going to invest time to investigate further to squeeze um, a penny out of something. They're just not going to spend the time. So there's so much more money that's being wasted. And it's and we're talking about big numbers. The same thing with with you know, Congress and passing budgets, right? Like they just add another zero and it's not a big deal, right? It's coming from somebody else anyways. And so, and that's the problem with insurance companies is that, that they, the money will always come from somebody else. They're not providing any value other than facilitating claims, keeping some things in check, making sure that there isn't really medical fraud going on. Um, so it's governed by a third party that should get paid, but, um, they're a byproduct of it all. So you they're gonna they're able to stomach losses like they did there in COVID or even at the beginning of um, the Affordable Care Act. Um, they stomach losses for a period of time. They can afford it. Uh, and I'm not saying that sh- you know anybody should just eat things because they can afford it. I'm just saying that they knew the business model going into it and they knew that they could come out on the other side smelling like roses. And most certainly they are um, because of the medical loss ratio, um, forcing them to increase premiums and increase expenses. And so there's, there was no financial incentive to control costs in the Affordable Care Act, which is now here almost 10 years later, and we're more than double the premiums when we were back then. There's zero control measures in that law. So employers have to stand up. And and, uh, individuals and private plant payers, solopreneurs, they have a lot less leverage. But employers can stand up. CFOs, stand your uh, post uh, or your position and and do your job. You're analyzing numbers. And according to uh, a survey done by CFO.com, 56% of CFOs struggle to balance the cost-cutting and future growth at the same time. And so they're having struggles with this. And, And obviously the survey proves that not only just specifically to healthcare, but all business aspects and models, uh, but healthcare is included because I tell you, every business that's out there that provides a group health insurance, they are actually in the healthcare business, whether they know it or not. They have to control it and take responsibility of it. They can't just uh, close their eyes, delegate it to HR, uh, maybe some authority back to the CFO because they have to justify their position and then, and then uh, they just, away they go. And they have no idea if they're getting overcharged by a million dollars a year or $10,000 a year. They have no idea. It's just a blind shot and they don't do anything about it. So but in this survey with CFO.com, um, they indicated that only 26% of the that were surveyed, um, and there was like 1,400 finance leaders that they um, surveyed, said that they were evaluating new ways for a new business model. And so you figure out of all that the the surveyed, which is a pretty good snapshot, that only 26% are actually looking to, for new ways to do business, new ways to cut costs, new ways to do things, right? So even when we're looking at prospecting on our side, we're trying to help em- employers and gain new business ourselves, 26% are really only open-minded to, hey, how do we control this? How do we, how do we look at a different angle and make this work? And so, and you figure 75% or 74, whatever the math comes out to, um, 74% of CFOs are like, yeah, I'd rather just die uh, doing it the same way because I'm going to move on anyways. I have a contract and we'll move on to the other company and we'll forget about what just happened, right? And so 
that's you know, a lot of CFOs move all the time, right? So they, they don't stay there uh, as a career at one company that usually keep moving. Um, those days are usually gone. Uh, there are exceptions, but most of the CFOs I, I know, um, they, they usually get projects and they move from one project to the next, which could be employed by the company for a period of time. It could be an outsourced fractional CFO type job too, but they, they keep moving, right? And part of it is because there's egos in the workplace. And um, once a CFO, um, I know a couple of them, they're drivers, they're innovators, they, they look for new ways and they cut through the tape and they get them to a new um, level of business and cash flow and everything that all of a sudden um, the, the owners or other executives end up putting applying pressure backwards and then they end up leaving either by getting fired because they wanted to go in a different direction than what the CFO wanted or um, they just didn't like what they were doing anymore. The CFO will make profit for the company and then you're like, oh, this is nice. I don't need you anymore. And they ditch them. And so uh, it doesn't always work that out that way. I always say, you know, some people never met a broke attorney, but I, there's tons of them out there. Um, same thing with CFOs. They don't manage books well, but somehow they got a CFO titled next to it. So um, you're going to have a mixed bag. But um, there are ways that a CFO and a company can control their cost. Um, there really is. We talk about on this podcast, we review it with our clients. Um, and here's a few bullet points to kind of walk through. And maybe you could have some takeaways uh, for this open enrollment or this renewal period that everybody's going through. Listen up. Butch wants to give you your own elite benefits playbook. And it's absolutely free. From business strategy to benefit strategy. Every step from the start through implementation, account setup, and open enrollment. Working through service requests and the process of renewals. A valuable look at your company, your insurance options, and how to make the process easier on you. Go now to EliteBenefits.net slash playbook and get your free Elite Benefits playbook. Or give Butch a call today, 708-535-3006. So we talk about fully insured. There's a lot of employer plans. In fact, last week I was going through a database of um, that we use as a prospecting tool, but also current client information. Uh, it um, has reporting mechanisms based on a 5500 reporting, uh, among other information that's in there. And I couldn't I couldn't believe the number of in Chicagoland area that I was pulling the data how many 250 to 500 employee um, companies that were still on a fully insured platform. And even some that were even closer to 1,000 employees were still on a fully insured. They're not even self-funded yet. They're in a fully insured. And we talked about this on the podcast that the fully insured blinds the employer with data. Or if you get data, it's very limited. They don't, they're really not required at this point while well, they are now with the consolidated appropriations act but they, prior to that they weren't required to provide any data whatsoever they're just blindly say hey we need to increase your premiums by 11 percent," and then you fire back or the broker fires back and says you know you know when when is it enough right is that too much right so i'm gonna say it's too much so what can you do better so they lower the nine or some cases they'll go lower and maybe it's six percent Right. And so they, you feel like you're the hero, you're wearing the cape. And uh, instead of having an 11% increase, you only have a 6% increase. And so um, the, you, know, you feel like you're doing your job, but there's no way to support it. You don't even know if they increased it to 11%, knowing you were going to push them back down to 6%. Yeah. And I, I, it's just this game. We, sure, some of it's, we don't have any control. We have 
uh, an employer that's on a self-funded program. And they came back with literally 11% increase. And um, they said they will, uh, when I challenged them a little bit and saying, hey, you know, from the data, this looks like a decent account for you. Like there's some claims going on, but there's they're not spending a whole lot of money in ratio in comparison to the premium. And the representative was like, yeah, good point, right? And so they t immediately told me the most they're giving off right now is 3%. And it's like, okay, well, ask them for the 3% down. And um, so they went back and a day later, they said, okay, they approved it, right? So we went from 11% down to 8%. And I'm thinking to myself, like, why are we wasting time on this? And, and maybe in this case, they didn't look at the data. We had data to go back and say, hey, the ratio we're looking at premium to claims looks pretty good here. You know, can we have a little more justification for 11% increase? And obviously they didn't, so they lowered it. And that was the most they were willing to lower it, and probably because on other trends um, that are going on too. But, but still, that's a prime case of, uh, you know, it's not us, you know, pounding our chest and putting the cape on. It, it, we use data to go back, and, and it could have been easily an oversight in this case because um, we were using data that, that supported what we were arguing, right? And so you can't do that on a fully insured. It just doesn't exist. Um, you're just blindly saying, hey, can we get some numbers off? And they come back as a hero. And I tell you, it's the traditional way of brokers doing business. And then they keep long-term clients because now the client doesn't know any better to shop or do anything different because they feel like their broker's the hero. And every time there's a renewal, they get they feel like the broker's going to go to bat for them and save them some points. And, and I think that's great. I just think it's unfortunate with uh, the industry and the way it works. But that's why a lot of employers, I recommend, especially if you're over 25 employees, um, when you get under 25 employees, it gets a little dicey as far as claims go. There's not enough premiums. There's less in the market that will compete. Um, but it's still doable uh, moving to a level funded or self-funded plan. And so most smaller employers under 50 employees usually stick with the level funded. It's a little easier to understand, a little bit easier to pay premiums um, and claims. It, it just makes it a lot simpler, but it's not for everybody either. Self-funded may just be their way to go right out of the gate. You can control more faucets then. You don't have to worry about prepaying any claims because if you don't pay it, you don't, or if the claim isn't there, you don't pay it. But in a level funded, you're prepaying them and then you might get a refund if things are uh, lucky. So but just to get a real quick uh, case study on that, we had a seven employee group. And of course, I'm going small here. So a seven employee um, group uh, that end up saving um, just under $4,000 a year. Okay. And that's not huge. So you're talking about less than $1,000. But I tell you, and with inflation and the way businesses, um, it was a huge impact. But take that same number. And, uh, and, and this really had, we had a hundred life group, but let's just say you times that by 10, right? So you have 70 employees and enrolled on this plan, and then you're saving $40,000 a year, right? Um, and so that just happened for us, um, a week or two ago. Uh, but again, it was a hundred life group and I'm just using easy math. Um, so I don't have to worry about doing these calculations, the pod, I would say pod, podcast, podcast math. Um, so anyhow, but even if you times 10 again, right? So just go further. You have a 700 life group. Um, and this is realistic. We've actually had cases like this 700 life group, but they're saving $400,000 a year. Like, what does that do for your bottom? You can't, your salespeople don't have to go out and replace $400,000. There it's $400,000 just coming right back to you that you could redistribute to do whatever you want with it. Um, sure, you could 
keep it for yourself with the, you know, that business owner that sacrificed all those years. Uh, but most people will put, reinvest it. They might add another product for their employees or, or switch things uh, up so that the employees are paying less. Um, there's uh, gives opportunity to maybe buy a financial machinery or expand in a new market, whatever it is, right? And that's a lot easier to deal with than trying to predict some um, forecasting sales when you don't have contracts in front of you, right? So definitely something to consider, especially on that front. And I would say that happens a lot. And it doesn't happen every single time because we have employers we apply and they're only saving $1,000 a year for the entire group. And it could be 50 employees or 100 employees. So it's, it's not worth the hassle of making any switches for a thousand bucks for that size of company. Um, so it could go that way. But um, why not take a look at it and see um, people get so loyal to uh, logos and insurance companies. And that's what marketing does. And marketing doesn't comply with your pocketbook right at some point if you can't afford it that that logo means nothing is it means zero right it means closing the doors going work for somebody else or laying off a bunch of employees that trusted you and spent their lives with you six to eight hours a day um, and then you're asking them or just telling them hey sorry i couldn't support you you're gonna have to go somewhere else right um and some people are heartless and but there's lives at stake and uh, you know families at stake where and now they have to figure out what what their next deal is, is or next opportunity. And while they're sitting there, you know, eating dinner, trying to tell their spouse and their family that they're out of a job because the employer couldn't figure this out. All right, moving on. So with the level funded or self-funded, not many level funded do it. So you may have to move to a self-funded platform or find a program that offers both um, with the reference-based pricing mechanism in it. Reference-based pricing um, does have some downside, uh, has one downside, and I'll go over that in a second. But I tell you, what it does is it already just has agreed upon they're going to pay a percentage above Medicare. And it's a benchmark. And some providers don't like this because they know they're gouging the employer market or you know, the you know, private payers because they're trying to make up for the government not paying as much. But, you know, at some point, you know, is the payment they're receiving, is it enough or is it too much, right? That's that's what it comes down to. And I uh, can't emphasize enough where a lot of these procedures are just way overpaid and no one wants to scrutinize it. Their lobbyists are big because they have the cash to pay for it and um, they get big people in the room and they're able to lobby against any type of litigation against it uh, to help control that cost. Even with the transparency uh, or no surprise act that the Trump administration had passed, there's supposed to be a menu board at these hospitals and providers now. Very few have actually complied, but of course they're not penalizing a whole lot either. But the issue comes in is that these providers are like, yeah, this is confidential data. We're not going to comply with this. And their attorneys keep winning small cases, uh, but it's ridiculous, right? When's the last time you showed up to your mechanic and they didn't tell you the price and you had to wait until the services were rendered to get the bill in the mail and say, okay, you owe this and it ends up being four times the amount. There's a, a video on YouTube and uh, maybe I'll try to include it in the show notes, but they, they were making fun of consumer markets with uh, the way hospitals and providers charge. So you go to the grocery store and you don't know until after you consume the groceries how much those were actually costing. And it's usually whatever number they come up with, but it's usually three or four times the amount. Or you go to a coffee shop and they don't have a menu board and you have to drink the coffee before they actually send you the, 
the invoice and it's usually much higher than you anticipated otherwise you would have never purchased that coffee and so it's actually really good and there's truth and justice and so uh, that happens in the healthcare world and so reference-based pricing combats that uh, by limiting what they're going to spend anyways so the downside to it is there's this thing called balanced billing and so in the beginning i would say balanced billing was definitely a lot bigger of a problem as time went on there was a lot of control mechanisms that were put in place. A lot of providers end up seeing a trend that this is happening more and more, so they accept the payments that are there without balanced billing. But there's still balanced billing that occurs. But what happens then is if you're with the right program is that they implemented a claims audit process. Um, and it could be a third-party company you're paying for in the premiums, and that's fine. Definitely do it. It's worth every weight in gold. We have had claim doc on the podcast um, a couple times now we should probably get some of the competitors on here to talk about them too just from just from a claim standpoint not necessarily promoting their product but you know they audit they have systems to audit these claims and say well what's the national average for you know appendix surgery or uh, hernia or whatever cancer treatment in a specific area like there's all this data that gets put in the software and then it gets it gets vetted through the software to see if it gets worked. Then they have analysts that go through data and say, well, hold on here. Like, why are you charging for this and that and this and that? And they have t testimonials um, by the hundreds, if not thousands, um, I know on their website. And then you could call and get data. And uh, they're talking about bills that were sent that were so high, like ninety, hundred thousand dollars, and they get it down under, in some cases, under a thousand. But you know, it could be less than ten thousand dollars for a hundred thousand dollar claim, and so they're trying to collect more money than what's there. And and I think that has never really happened at the pace that it's is now because providers are getting away with it because insurance companies don't really care. They claim they care, but they don't. They because they're going to collect premiums eventually, and they increase this revenue, and then they're heroes. The executives make more money. And so not, you know, some people say, well, the hospital or the insurance company has to be a nonprofit. I tell you, nonprofits are not what they, you think it is. And um, they, a lot of them end up making more than what for-profits do. And so um, it just means they got to spend all their cash. Um, that's really all it does. And, and these nonprofits, you know, look at the CEO salaries and, and perks and bonuses, a lot more than you and I combined um, put together. And so... Um, I, I'm sure they can shave a few, you know, premiums off and cut costs uh, somewhere so that we can uh, have more affordable health care um, and not necessarily at their expense, but um, just, you know, just in human um, relationships out there and, and trying to do the right thing for people um, out there across the country when it comes to health care. The other thing with balanced billing, you could always just call and negotiate. A lot of times um, we have clients that call and say, hey, I got this bill, but our health insurance paid a certain portion and you should agree upon that. And I tell you, just with a quick phone call and being nice, sometimes they just say, OK, yeah, that's fine. Well, we're going to zero it out. It doesn't happen all the time, but it's worth the phone call. Uh, but, you know, there's naysayers out there. Uh, again, this is a tool and a toolbox. That's it, right? So like you, you may have a screwdriver, but you want to use a crowbar and um, it's just a tool, right? Doesn't mean the crowbar can't do what the screwdriver could do or vice versa. It's just a tool, right? But there's, there's even brokers, insurance agents out there, employers that scream the sky is falling when it comes to reference-based pricing and they're going to put employees in a bad situation. And it's not necessarily true uh, because if you're smart enough, instead of being an naysayer, you could put tools in place to make sure that 
you could control those costs. You would do the same thing in your own household when it comes to your own expenses, right? Homeowners association fees go up. Uh, well, you're going to demand more out of them or complain about the fee increase, right? And maybe you could afford the increase, but I'm just saying from a traditional middle-class household, you have to do a little bit more due diligence to actually control some of your costs. And you usually do it on the private side. Why can't we do it on the employer side and our health claims? Just kind of stand up for what is right, right? And and at some point, like I said, throughout this whole podcast is, you know, you know, to challenge the providers, when are they receiving enough and when is it too much? And so, and I think that has to be pushed through a little bit further. So I challenge the employers out there or even the employees to go to your employer and tell them that try to be the 26% that look for a new business model, right? And, and employers are going to have to have a financial uh, fiduciary responsibility to audit and make sure that the healthcare plan that's being provided to the employees is the most reasonable cost that they could provide. And if they can't justify or prove this, um, there are penalties that are going to be coming to the employer side. And so, um, so I would challenge that, be the part of the 26%, look for new models. A couple quick notes. Uh, we have a lot going on, right? So at the time of this recording, we're in the fourth quarter. The national open enrollment for private payers is going on starting November 1st, goes through December 15th, and that is a hard stop, right? You can't all of a sudden wake up one day on the 16th and say, oh, yeah, I forgot there was a deadline. That's a hard stop unless you have a qualifying event, and it's within usually 60 days, you should be able to pick a plan depending on that window. But it definitely ends December 15th and you cannot, we don't have rates yet. So um, even time in this recording and maybe by the time it gets published, all the rates will be available. But right now, if you call their office, we can't provide 2024 pricing on, on um, private, uh, private plans. There is also the annual enrollment period enrollment period for the Medicare market, and that's for the Part D and the Medicare Advantage plans. Um, that's going on. Start at October 1st for window shopping. October 15th, you can make a transaction for January 1st, but that deadline's December 7th. Um, seek an advisor for that. Then um, small businesses, they have what they call a small business special enrollment period. So they're in the month of November, um, and... Uh, you could actually apply. It's actually November 15th to December 15th is the window. Um, some of the insurance companies open up November 1st anyways because they get so bombarded, they just figured why not. And so the special enrollment period for small employers, so 49 and under, could actually provide a group health insurance, contribute $0 to the health plan, and have no participation requirements. So one of the downsides of small group is that the employer doesn't have enough cash to spend on it, but the employee needs it and you want to retain them. So you want to make it available, but you can't afford to put anything into it or very limited. This is where this is your opportunity to provide a group health insurance plan and have very little funds to, to contribute or none at all. Now also participation. If you have 45 employees and you only have two employees that are interested in health insurance in traditional format, you wouldn't be able to do that. Participation um, participation may not work. Like some uh, insurance companies require 25% participation. You're not going to hit that number. But during the small business special enrollment, they cannot turn you down for that. And then we also in the renewal time. So large, middle market employers are in the middle of it right now. Um, and if they're not, they're late in the game. Um, smaller employers, when I say smaller, under 100 employees are about to, or they're in the middle of it right now. In fact, our office just received uh, January 1st renewals yesterday. 
and then a couple of days ago, we were at uh, gain access to January 1st pricing for under 100 employees. Over 100, we've been able to quote and process for a month now. But if you're listening to this and you haven't received your renewal within the next couple of weeks, uh, shame on your broker. Um, uh, there should be at least an outreach. I may not, they may not want to release the renewal until they do some of their homework before they talk to you, which is fine and respectable. Let them do their job. But you should have some type of contact within the next couple of weeks from them. Otherwise, um, you're going to be late in the game.